We will be wrestling with two scriptures this morning, one from the Acts of the Apostles and the other from the Gospel according to John. Let us listen first to what is known as Paul's Sermon at the Areopagus from Acts chapter 17. May the church hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. Then Paul stood in the front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I can see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, And he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from any one of us. For, and here Paul is quoting an an author who is ancient even in his own time, very familiar to these Athenians he is preaching to. For... In him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, he now commands all people everywhere to turn around because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Friends, how fascinating is this reading? Imagine that clock of time rolling you back, and back even farther and farther, Imagine Paul standing in Athens, standing in this place, the Areopagus, maybe even in front of the council, known by the same name, and preaching this word to them. If you were to wander the streets, you would see an inscription of this same sermon that he preached, which is there now. This seems so very ancient to us, but he quotes what was already ancient to them, Such, I think, a gift of generosity, to praise them for their religiosity and to quote their own beloved poet and to find this common ground, to name this one who they worship as an unknown God, to find that unity there, and to quote this passage, which we all now love so much and is now enshrined in our own sacred text, For in God we live and move and have our being. This passage from antiquity, now alive for us in our hearing today. Friends, in God we do live and move and have our being. 
And this proclamation from Paul, we are God's offspring, you, each and every one of you, children of one God. And this acknowledgement that we are all now turning together, one human family, united. And turning now to the gospel according to John in the 14th chapter, we are continuing on with the farewell discourse, which Jesus has spoken to his disciples. And he tells them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And now I have to pause here, because I think this must sound so different to us in our first hearing of it. If then, if this, then that. And it also sounds so guilting and so shaming. Does this echo in some quid pro quo way for you? If you loved me, you would do this. Doesn't that just grate on you? But no, what if it sounds so different if we hear it as, because you love me, and what are those commandments that Jesus has asked us to follow? There are two. Everything hangs on these two, Jesus tells us. Love God, love one another. So now, instead of a guilting, shaming, it's just a pure statement of an essential truth. If you love me, you love God. If you love me, if you love God, you love one another. And inviting us all into contemplation of that essential truth and into a deeper awareness and understanding of this one love going on, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. Do you hear this? Jesus is promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. In these later days in Easter, we have read the resurrection stories, and now we turn to these promises that Jesus will send the Holy Spirit, who is also known as the Advocate. And this is the Spirit of Truth who will abide with you and be in you. Do you hear how we are continually invited in this passage into a contemplation of unity? In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. If we go back to the beginning, does this change how we hear? When you love me, you will love God, you will love one another. The Father is in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is in us. Theologians call this a mutual indwelling. It's not just like Russian dolls all stacked together so that you reveal another, you open up another layer and find another inside, but mutually contained. The Spirit dwells within each and every one of us. On that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and our understanding of this holy word. So friends, on Easter, I tried to take down some false narratives that we hold about Christianity. 
And I tried to take down some of this idea that any individual Christian denomination can hold ultimate truth. And I joked with you a little bit about how in some points in human history, Christians packed up and moved across the street from one another saying, we're right, you're wrong. And if you need us, we'll be worshiping over here from now on because we get it and you don't. And I celebrated with you all the reality that in our tradition, we are happy as congregationalists to acknowledge that there are as many ways of thinking about these things as there are people in the room. Today, I want to continue on with shaking up this narrative about Christianity and to see if it isn't some sort of a false narrative that throughout all of time, Again, we think about this time of this clock turning backward, bringing us into antiquity and what it was that the ancients themselves saw as ancient. The idea that Jesus came at a point in time bringing us revelation, and now we see the light. Now we understand. Now we as Christians who sit in this time and place have access to this essential truth, this access to God. Friends, how long is human history? And how preposterous, how prideful of us to sit here and look at all of those eons that came before and imagine that ancient peoples did not have access to God. Have you ever stopped to think about that? Well, this morning as we worshipped in the woods beside a pond, it really struck home for me what it is that people throughout time have been trying to connect with and tap into and really shake up the idea that maybe the ancient peoples had so much access to wisdom and truth and they began to lose it over a period of time. And so instead, Jesus came not for original revelation, but for ongoing revelation. Maybe we needed access again to something we had started to forget. And I was helped along this wrestling with this book, The Universal Christ. I know that Father Richard Rohr is familiar to many of you. I actually think he might be the theologian who's most often quoted from this pulpit and has been for years. And if you aren't getting daily devotionals from the Center for Action and Contemplation, which he founded, I encourage you to do so. But I wanted to turn to this idea with you, the universal Christ, how a forgotten reality can change everything we see, hope for, and believe. What Father Rohr presents to us is that the whole of creation, not just Jesus, is the beloved community. Everything is a child of God, the partner in the divine dance, no exceptions. What else could anything be? And he also says that we have had, we talk as Christians as though we are waiting for the second coming. But he said that we have been gifted this presence already. That in the very beginning of creation, God is present with us. He says many are still praying and waiting for something that has already been given to us three times. First in creation second in Jesus, so that we could hear him, see him with our eyes, watch him, and touch him with our hands, the word who is life. But he says that God has always been connecting us to the universal. So I learned recently about this discovery in archaeology called Gobekli Tepe. Have any of you heard of it? 
It's in Turkey, and it is, if you can imagine how old the pyramids are, it is three times as old as the oldest pyramids. Can you even wrap your minds around that? And they have just barely started to excavate this place. And what they're discovering is concentric circles of stones, even so much older than Stonehenge. And they're uncovering that there is this place that humans, before we even knew how to make pottery, we were building temples and we were communing with one another and with God. And they're, they're certain that people didn't live there, that it was just a place like this sanctuary for people to come together and praise. Friends, do you not think that God was present with them then? And do you not think that God has implanted in each and every one of us an ability to tap into that connection? And one of the things that Father Rohr writes about Jesus is that Christ is not Jesus' last name. We have conflated Jesus Christ as though it is just one essential identity. But there was Christ beyond all time, including in the moment of creation. And our own scriptures attest to this again and again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning and all things came into being through him. This is Jesus the Christ, who is beyond all time and place, who, and who, through the ongoing gift of the Holy Spirit, allows us always to have access to these essential truths. So another false narrative about Christianity is that we are not contemplative. And I think about our covenant, which we read with the confirmands, our opening line, which could be, we are united, Do you know how it goes on? Have any of you committed it to heart? We are united in striving. We are so busy doing. We are so busy thinking that we have to be united in striving and not just simply united that we've fallen away from this essential core truth that we sometimes just attribute to Buddhism. Do you all know any contemplatives in your life? Do you know anyone who you would say has achieved a deep sense of peace who is grounded no matter what life throws at them? Do you know anybody who has a very strong meditation practice and can always return to their breath and ground themselves? And when you picture these people, are you picturing someone Christian? We're so often picturing someone Buddhist. And what Father Rohr says is that we need to drop all of this duality. We drop all of this light and dark and good and evil and Christian and Buddhist and right and wrong and spirit and matter and tap into this original, deeper reality, which is the unity of all things. Anyone who has achieved this enlightenment will tell you it is all about waking up to this interconnectedness, this oneness. And somehow as Christians, we're united and striving, we like to get things done, and we drop our contemplative side right out of our tradition so that it seems foreign to us and we've forgotten how to continue to maintain it and claim it as our own and develop it in ourselves. And I think this is just our calling as modern people to tap into this ancient knowledge of who God is and how God has created and loves everything that is. A reading from Colossians 
describes this as well. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. This is the peace which God is offering to us in all times. And don't we run around through so many hours of our days just completely unaware of this. But it would also be a false narrative to say that we have to become different. We have to become different people. We have to spend hours and hours and hours meditating alone on a mat, and then we will have access to it. I don't believe that. I don't know why God would create us the way that we are if we were. Do you sometimes feel like you would just be terrible at contemplation? I used to feel like that. But through the gift of the Holy Spirit, friends, if you just breathe in and breathe out, the Holy Spirit is already in you. The Holy Spirit already, no matter whether you've been practicing for a long time or you've never even considered this before, you can come into a deep awareness of God's presence and love for you no matter what in any moment. You could just sit outside in the sunshine today for five minutes and breathe deeply and return to your essential oneness, God dwelling in you, you dwelling in God, returning to that knowledge. Let everything else fall away and remember these ancient words, more ancient than Paul, it is in God that you live and move and have your being. The only separation there only is from you and God is in your mind when you forget it. But you can come back to it at any moment. You, each and every one of you, can do it. Friends, may we be transformed into people who can tap into this ancient knowledge of the unity, the connectedness of all things, and above all, that love. If we love, then we love. If we love Jesus, then we love God, then we love one another. May it be so.